Welcome to this week's episode of the Big Book Living Alive podcast, a weekly podcast showcasing the 1993 Big Book Seminar presented by Joe and Charlie in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. I am your host, Brad S., and I am an alcoholic. So let's get down to it. We've actually spent the last few weeks finding out a little bit about the history of AA, learning about the people, and going through how the book was organized, written, and is used as our textbook. Now let's get into the meat of the subject. Let's start looking at the book itself. Now before we jump in and just go ahead and start reading chapter one, it's pretty important that we make sure that we read the whole book. Now this includes also reading the preface. Now I learned something new this week. I did not know that at the beginning of a book, you can have a preface, a prologue, and an introduction. The difference being that a preface is written by someone who's supporting the author's point of view. A prologue is normally written from the point of view of one of the characters of the book. And an introduction is normally written by someone who knows the author and just wants to introduce them, not necessarily what's in the book. So that was kind of an interesting little point. I never knew that. But one thing we do know is the preface is very important because the doctor's opinion sets up the medical reasoning and the ideology behind why this problem of alcoholism is of both the mind and the body. So let's hear what Joe and Charlie have to say about that. Doctor's opinion, dash, 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 no name. He said, my God, if I put that out and put my name to it, they'll throw me completely out of the medical profession. Now, that was 1939. In 
reference to the fact that the body is affected as well. Everything up until this time talked about the mind only, weak will, moral character, sin, etc. Here we see a statement that the body is quite as abnormal as the mind. Now he's also saying not only is the body abnormal, but the mind is abnormal also. And we're going to see a little later on that we react to alcohol entirely different than normal people, not only physically, but also mentally. To understand that's one reason why it's so cunning, baffling, and powerful. I have to understand that the body is as quite as abnormal as, in my, as my mind. And I have to separate those two ideas, and we're going to first look at the body, and then later on we're going to look at the mind. So in showing how the two of them work. It did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life, that we were in full flight from reality or, or were outright mental defectives. These things were true to some extent, in fact, to a considerable extent with some of us. But we're sure that our bodies were sickened as well. In our belief, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. In other words, I need to know about the physical factor of alcoholism. The doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. As laymen, our opinion as to its soundness may, of course, mean little. But as ex-problem drinkers, we can say that his explanation makes good sense. It explains many things which we cannot otherwise account. This idea of, of the physical allergy, the allergy to alcohol is an abnormal reaction. The obsession of the mind is an idea that overpowers all other ideas. But just looking at the allergy, abnormal reaction. Normal people don't drink the way we do. Normal people don't have the reaction that we do. And so if we don't have the action, the, the reaction as normal people do, then we are allergic to alcohol, which we are abnormal. We're not normal, we're abnormal. This allergy, once I start to take a drink, it sets up a craving within my body that's beyond my mental control. And it says this explains many things which I couldn't otherwise account for. It explains to me, for instance, why I would go down to the bar with every intention of just taking a couple of drinks. I mean, that's what I intended to do. And the next thing I know, it's midnight or 1 or 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock or the next day or the next week, and sometimes it was the next month before I got home. Explains to me, once I start to drink, it's virtually impossible for me to stop. That's the way it is with me. Now, I didn't start out that way. I developed that slowly over a period of time through the use and abuse of alcohol. And I couldn't explain my actions either. You know, but understanding this physical allergy that I had this craving beyond this physical craving, once I start to drink, it's virtually impossible for me to stop. That explains a lot of those things to me, which I couldn't otherwise account for. Now, if the purpose of a textbook is to transfer information from the mind of one human being to the mind of another, thereby increasing the knowledge of the user of the book. It stands to reason that transference of information will be based upon the understanding of the words that are used. If the writer of the book uses a word and has one understanding, the reader reads that word and has a different understanding, then the information that comes through is going to be complete, garbled information, and he's going to be confused. And I think probably one of the most misunderstood words in the big book is the word allergy. You know, before I came to AA, and most people were like me, we assumed we knew what an allergy was. And I knew that if you ate something or drank something or got around something that, that you were allergic to, 
it would cause some physical manifestation or indicator that you could see. For instance, if you're allergic to strawberries and you eat them, you break out in a rash, the rash being the physical manifestation of that allergy. If you're allergic to milk and you drink it, you normally have a bad case of dysentery, the dysentery being the physical manifestation of that allergy. If you're allergic to ragweeds, you get around them, your eyes itch, your nose itch, they water, you sneeze. The itchy, watery eyes, the sneezing being the physical manifestations of that allergy. Now, I came to AA and they said, Charlie, you're allergic to alcohol, you'll never be able to safely drink it again. And I said, how in the hell can I be allergic to alcohol? I'm drinking a quart a day. <laughs> now, how can you possibly drink that much of something you're allergic to? And I said, besides that, when I drink alcohol, I don't break out in a rash. I don't usually have a bad case of dysentery. Uh, once in a while I would, depending on what I've been drinking, but I usually <laughs> didn't. Nor did it necessarily make my eyes, nose itch, water, and cause me to sneeze. And I said, I don't understand what you're talking about. You need to explain that to me. And they said, you don't need to understand. They said, the only thing you need to know is you can't drink it. Well, today I think I know why they told me that. I don't think they understood it a bit better than I did. Now, if you've got a keen intellectual alcoholic mind like I have, and you've got a question like that hanging out here in front of you, dangling back and forth, sooner or later it's going to run you out of your mind unless you find an answer. And I talked and I talked and I tried and I tried and I asked and I asked and nobody would or could explain to me what this allergy meant. They just said, you're allergic, period, forget it. One day I went to a source of information, though, that has never failed me since that time, called a Webster's Dictionary. And I looked up the word allergy, and I found several different definitions in it, the same as you do with any word, depending on how you use it. But I think I found the one that fits me exactly. It says an allergy is an abnormal reaction to any food, beverage, substance of any kind, an abnormal reaction. So I began to look back through my lifetime of drinking to see where I was abnormal when it comes to alcohol, and to my absolute amazement, I didn't know what was normal and what was abnormal. The only thing I knew about drinking is the way I drank it, and the way those drank it, they drank it with me, and if they didn't drink like I did, we didn't drink together. So in order for me to find out what's normal, I've got to go talk to the normal, social, temperate, moderate drinkers. And I ask them to describe to me how they feel whenever they take a drink. Most of them will say something like this. Well, we can, have a, we can come home from work, tired, tense, wrought up from the day's work. We can have a drink or two before dinner. And it gives us a kind of a warm, comfortable, relaxing feeling. But they said also it begins to, uh, to make us slightly tipsy and gives us a little bit of an out-of-control feeling. And we don't like that feeling. Therefore, one or two drinks is all we want. Now, when I take a drink, that doesn't happen to me. When I take a drink, as it passes over my lips, my lips begin to tingle. It hits my teeth and they chatter up and down. It strikes my tongue and I can feel it begin to grow and expand. Hits my cheeks and they flutter in and out. I feel it passing up through my sinus cavities into my forehead and I begin to get a feeling which is absolutely indescribably wonderful. I haven't even swallowed the damn stuff yet. I just got it in my mouth. When I swallow that stuff and it goes down through my esophagus, I can immediately feel my chest begin to grow and expand and get bigger and bigger. Hits my stomach and literally explodes like a bomb. 
I can feel it immediately racing through my arms, and they get longer and longer. It's my hands and fingers, and they begin to tingle and vibrate. At the same time, it's racing through my arms, it's racing through my legs, and they're getting longer and longer, and I'm getting taller and taller, and it hits my feet and toes, and they get a hot, intense, burning, exciting, get up and go somewhere and do something feeling. I don't understand a warm, comfortable, relaxing feeling. <laughs> Not knowing you're missing out on something is only bad until you realize that you have missed out on that item. As an example... If you eat peanut butter sandwiches for the first 10 years of your life and you never put anything on them, no jelly, no bananas, no honey, no fluffernutter, then you're happy. You know what you know. But then one day you find peanut butter and jelly on the same sandwich and you realize that the two together are much better than the one just by itself. Now, I'm not saying that our disease is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but the ideology that for centuries there was only one side of this problem, one side of the coin, and it never got flipped over, and you were always looking at the heads but never knew there was a tail to this problem, is what I'm trying to say. And it probably took the alignment of stars, so to speak, to make this happen. We had come out of the Victorian age in the last few years of the early 1900s. There was an age of knowledge, an age of growth, an age of self-discovery. And there was also the burgeoning middle class that had arrived because of the industrial age prior to that, which actually sparked the Victorian era. Because now you had people who did not spend daylight to sunset tilling the fields or working in a factory and they had time and they had time to think and they had time to meet and greet and interact and exchange thoughts and ideas and that led us into the american century as it's been called the explosion of everything from first man flight to steel out of Pittsburgh, just building high-rises across the country. The Age of Prosperity was here. And with that Age of Prosperity, we finally were able to take a look at our disease and realize, as Dr. Silkworth did, that there was two parts to this problem. Now, some of you may remember that Twix ran a commercial series based on the left Twix and the right Twix. And I always thought this was a humorous way to explore selling candy bars, but I'll have to admit I was a right Twix kind of guy. So when you think of that metaphor towards us, that's perfect because there's two sides. There is a physical and there is a mental. Now the problem is if you take four or five packages of these Twix and you open them up and you throw them on the table and you say, which one's the left side? Which one's the right side? You can't do it. And that's the conundrum. That was the problem that Dr. Silkworth saw. He realized there was not just one, but there were two problems. And he put them in the package together. He said, wait a minute. I see 
these alcoholics come in all the time. We dry them out. We clean them up. We get them on the path to recovery. And they go out and they come back and they do it again. And he wanted to break that cycle. And he had a revelation that it is not just about the body and its addiction to alcohol. It's also about the mind and the disease that makes us obsessed with that next drink. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. If you'd like just the raw Joe and Charlie portion of the podcast, that is available on our Patreon site. The link to that is available on our website or in the pinned comment. Until next week, this is the Big Book Living Alive Joe and Charlie podcast.